0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of the Personal Finance Show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 133. It's titled, Investing in Fixed Income During a Rising Interest Rate Environment. I can tell you right now I'm going to change the title The way, way too long of a title. I'm going to go with something much shorter. This past Sunday, LaPrell and I were visiting her mother who suffers from Alzheimer's at the retirement facility where she lives. We arrived toward the end of dinner and Laprille sat by her mom to help feed her. Seeing there wasn't any more empty chairs at the table or in the dining room, I slipped out into the lobby to wait. While there, I visited with two women, one with a walker, the other in a wheelchair, they were both lost and couldn't find their rooms. I helped them find them, and they were very grateful that they were able to restore a little sense of order to their lives. Alzheimer's is tough. This, earlier this year, journalist N.R. Kleinfield wrote a piece for the New York Times titled Fraying at the Edges. It was about Jerry Taylor and just her journey as she slowly succumbs to Alzheimer's. Here's a quote. I know the tide is going out in my memory, Jerry would say. She had trouble with elapsed time. It was getting impossible for her to re- distinguish between the past, the present, and the future. Blots of time melted together. She seemed forever in the present, as if her life was one jumbled moment. Breakfast, shower, lunch, dinner, movie, shopping, everything conflated together and happening right now. It was if... Without even trying, she had become a Buddhist. I obviously have not experienced Alzheimer's personally. I've just observed it in others. And it seems the present moment is what they have. They are there. They experience life. They laugh, cry, and live, but all in the present. A couple weeks ago, we visited LePro's mom as her husband Lapro's stepdad sang Oh, Danny Boy. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling from glen to glen and down the mountainside. The summer's gone and all the roses falling. It's you, it's you must go and I must bide. It was absolutely magical watching Marita let the music wash over her in the moment. Yoshida Kenko In Essays on Idleness, he was a Buddhist monk and poet. He lived in the early 1300s in Tokyo, wrote, "'No one begrudges the passing moment. Is this because they are wise or because they are fools? To the lazy fools among them, I would say a single coin may be next to worthless, but is through their accumulation that the poor man becomes rich. This is why the merchant is so keen to save every coin he can.'" You may not be aware of the moments, but as long as they continue to pass, you will very soon find yourself in the end of life. Thus, one dedicated to the way must not concern himself over the distant future. His only care should not be to let the present moment slip vainly through his fingers. Lose for a moment your grasp of the passing instant, and you are as good as dead. It's been a week since the U.S. presidential election. And if your candidate won or lost, it can still be a bit disorienting. Similar, I suspect, to the way residents in the U.K. felt after the Brexit vote. The, the ongoing question is, what is coming next? But I find myself reading the newspapers less, staying off of Facebook less, just because it is so filled with speculation about what is coming. I'd rather focus on the present. What is happening now? And what is happening now from an investment perspective is interest rates are rising. U.S. interest rates began 2016 at a level where 10-year treasury bonds were yielding 2% and 30-year treasury bonds were yielding 3%. Following the Brexit vote in June 2016, yields got as low as 1.4% for the 10-year treasury bonds and 2.1% for 30-year bonds. After such a sharp decline in interest rates, long-term Treasury bond ETFs gained over 20% year-to-date through early July. Now, those ETFs have since given up most of those gains. With the election of Donald Trump as president and his post-election pledge, most recently on the 60 Minutes news show for CBS, his pledge is to both cut taxes and accelerate spending on infrastructure. And and the result is interest rates have been climbing. Yields for 10- and 30-year Treasury bonds are now closed if they haven't already passed where they began the year. There's no way to know if interest rates will keep rising. But the potential for an, an increased annual federal budget deficit under a Trump administration, if they actually do increase spending on infrastructure and cut taxes, Means that, I mean, that's gotten the bond market's attention. So interest rates are rising. Now, in this episode, I'm not going to talk about what drives interest rates. We're going to talk about what to do about investing in fixed income when rates are rising. If you go to episode 52, why are interest rates so low? That whole episode was on what are the factors that drive interest rates. But we want to focus on, we, we talked about that ETF going up and down as rates rise, why do bond prices fall when interest rates increase and bond prices rise when interest rates decline? This is a basic bond concept we need to understand in order to do fixed income investing. Consider an investor who bought a newly issued 30-year treasury bond that yields 2%. The bond pays $20 in interest annually for every $1,000 of bond face value. The face value is the price of the bond that the interest payment is based on. So it's the initial price when the bond is issued. If interest rates rise to 3%, then an investor who buys a newly issued 30-year bond would receive $30 in annual interest. Seeing that an investor can now buy a new bond that pays $30 in interest while the old one pays only $20, means the old bond's price must fall to a level that an investor would be economically indifferent investing in either of the two bonds. In other words, the price of the old bond must fall to a level that an investor would make the same amount of money holding the old bond as he or she would owning the new bond. The degree to which a bond's price changes as interest rates fluctuate depends on when the bond matures. By matures, means it returns its face value or principal amount. It also depends that price sensitivity depends on interest rate, or the price sensitivity to interest rate depends on the bond's yield, its coupon payment, and other features, such as can the bond be called in early. A bond or a bond portfolio's price sensitivity to changing interest rates is known as its duration. And duration is essentially the weighted average maturity of a bond or bond portfolio's cash flows, So you have all these cash flows. It's the weighted average maturity of the cash flows. A 30-year bond receives cash payments in the form of interest for three decades compared to just a few years for a five-year bond. Consequently, the duration or the weighted average maturity of the cash flows for a 30-year bond will be much higher than for a five-year bond. And the duration or the weighted average maturity of these cash flows will always be less than the, the bond's maturity. So if the bond has a 30-year maturity because it gets cash flows all the way through, it's the weighted average maturity of the cash flows itself is going to be less than the actual maturity of the bond And with the exception of a certain type of bond called a zero-coupon bond. In a zero-coupon bond, doesn't make interest payments. It makes only one payment at the end of the bond's life. And and, and at that point, it pays the principal value and accrued interest. And so because all the cash flows are at the end when the bond matures, then the bond's duration equals its maturity. But for most bonds, the duration is less than its maturity. And these are very, very important concepts to understand Bond investing. I often get questions from m- m- members of the Money for the Restless Hub because they're, they're saying, well, why, why is, is this particular bond fund so much more volatile as rates have changed than another fund or ETF? And, and by and large, it's due to the fund's duration. The higher or longer a bond or bond portfolio's duration, the more its price will change as interest rates change. And that is why an exchange rate of fund that invested in treasury bonds with maturity greater than 20 years appreciated over 20% as rates fell 1% this year between January and July, while an ETF that invested in bonds with maturities of 7 to 10 years only appreciated just over 8%. The latter ETF had a shorter duration than the ETF that invested in bonds with maturities greater than 20 years. Now, a rule of thumb for duration is a bond's price will increase or decrease by its duration multiplied by 1% for each one percentage point's change in interest rates. I'm going to give an example because that, that's, that's a math formula which is hard to convey over audio. But here's an example. If interest rates rise by 1%, a bond portfolio with a duration of six years will fall 6%, right? So rates go up 1%. We have a six-year duration times 1% is six times 1% is 6%. So for every 1% increase or decrease in interest rates, a bond portfolio with a six-year duration will increase or decrease by 6%. A 10-year duration portfolio will vary by 10 percentage points. Even though a bond's price fluctuates with changes in interest rates, an investor who holds the bond to maturity will receive the original face value when the bond matures, and the annualized return for holding that bond will equal the bond's yield to maturity at the time it was purchased. And so even though the price may differ from its initial face value, when you buy an individual bond, you can look at its yield to maturity And that'll equal the annualized return if you hold that bond until it actually matures and you get the principal back. In the end, the investors made whole, even though it may have been a bumpy ride as interest rates changed along the way. But most investors don't own individual bonds. They own bonds through mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. The managers of these investment vehicles don't necessarily hold the bonds to maturity and they're always buying and selling bonds based on cash flows into and out of the fund or ETF. Consequently, the bond fund and ETF investors are subject to interest rate risk. So the the ETF is going up in value based on interest rates. And since the, the ETF life is indefinite, the only way that you can get your rate of return to equal the yield to maturity of the funder ETF that you that you bought at the time you buy it is to have a long enough holding period, seven years or more. Then the starting yield to maturity, and you can look it up when you when you buy an ETF, go on Morningstar or some other site and look at It's usually, if you're a U.S.-based investor, it's called the SEC yield. So that essentially is a yield to maturity less the expense ratio on the fund. And that is the most important number when it comes to bond investing. Look at what the starting yield to maturity is. If it's an individual bond, you hold the bond to maturity, you'll get that rate of return. If it's a fund or ETF, you're going to have to hold it for 7 to 10 years. If rates go up and you sell within two years, you're going to show a loss depending on the duration of the fund. While bond fund and ETF investors can be hurt in the short term if interest rates increase, by holding it for seven years or more, again, their total annualized return uh, for the seven to 10 year period will approximately equal the fund or ETF starting yield to maturity. And the reason for this is the initial loss Due to rising interest rate is offset over time by the fund or ETF receiving and reinvesting income at higher interest rates. I mean, essentially, so you're because the bond fund is you're getting dividends, and, and if they're being reinvested, then it's being reinvested at a higher interest rate. because that's what yield to maturity is based on. A yield to maturity assumes the interest you're receiving is being reinvested back in the fund or ETF are being invested at current interest rates. Here's an example. So many investors own the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund. Its current SEC yield is around 2%. Now, this is a bond that's seeking to replicate the bond market. Its duration is pretty long, about 5.8 years. And so that means if interest rates increase, 1%, the bond fund can fall 6%. In fact, at some point, sort of through July, this Vanguard Total Bond Market Index fund was up over 6% year to date because interest rates had fallen. Now, with interest rates rising, the fund has given up much of that ground. But an investor who holds that fund, they bought it today and held it for 7 to 10 years. If they calculated their their holding period, annualized return of that fund, it would be around 2% if they hold it long enough. Somebody that that bought it in July, though, when rates were very, very low, and then you've seen rates increase, is now sitting with a loss of around 6%. Now, over time, that loss will be recouped as as the the interest payments are received and reinvested back in the fund. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. So are there ways to mitigate this interest rate risk, the risk of rising rates so we don't have to hold a fund for 7 to 10 years to recoup losses? Really, there's there's three ways. You can hold as we mentioned, you can hold bonds to maturity, either as an individual bond or a special type of exchange-traded fund that I'm going to talk about in a moment. We can hold variable rate bonds, which I'll talk about, and we can invest in private fixed income investments that are not marked mark-to-market. In other words, they're, they're, they don't mark the, the, the price down as interest rates go up. So you don't actually see changes relative to volatility because they're private Securities. We're going to talk about each of these areas, but first let me talk about a type of bond, ETF, that allows investors to avoid interest rate risk. They're sometimes called Bullet ETFs, but they're ETFs sponsored by firms such as iShares. They call theirs iBonds. Guggenheim's another provider, they call theirs Bullet ETF. These exchange traded funds have fixed maturities. That's correspond to the year listed in the specific ETF's name. So the ETF will say the, the I-Bond December 2020 term corporate ETF only owns bonds that mature in the year 2020. In fact, they own 400 corporate bonds. And, and what's unique about these exchange-traded funds is they actually mature in the year 2020, and and so in that case, when you purchase that ETF, you look at its yield to maturity, and if you hold the the ETF until it matures, so you can buy a 2019 fund, a 2020 fund, et cetera, you will get your return will equal your annualized return will equal that yield to maturity. But it's just you can buy them for a much shorter period. Now there, there are corporate corporate type ETFs that do this. There are municipal ETFs. And, and they're, they're essentially – what you can do is you can do what's called a ladder bond portfolio. You could have some that I- expire in 1919 tw- or 2019, 2020. And what happens with these ETFs is once the year of maturity hits and their bonds start maturing, so th- this 2020 corporate ETF has over 400 corporate bonds. As they start to mature, the fund holds on to cash and then the exchange rate of fund is delisted and you get your cash back. And so there's, there's a – it's like owning an individual bond that matures, but it's an ETF and it's over – but it has hundreds and hundreds of bonds. And so, again, when you're evaluating these ETFs, you just – like you would do an individual bond, you want to look at, well, certainly the sector it's invested in. It you was know, an investment grade, for example, but you also want to look at the yield to maturity – and the maturity date. You don't have to worry about the duration as much because yes, it will still fluctuate as as rates rise and fall, but your return will be that yield of maturity if you hold it until the end of the life of the particular ETF. Now, another way to mitigate interest rate risk is an investment that a member of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub brought to my attention. It's called the U-Haul. Investor Club, and we sent me an email. I said, "What in the world is that? I didn't know U-Haul renters. u U-Haul, if uh, you're outside the U.S., U-U-Haul. I, mean, I think they're only in the U.S. Basically, it's a renter truck that you use for moving, and and they are a publicly traded company. That it's called Americo is the name of the company, but what they do is they actually have an an investment club where you can buy individual. Corporate bonds issued by the parent Amerco, which are backed by specific assets of the company, such as dollies, trailers, and trucks. So you buy a specific note that that has security interest in a particular asset that the company owns. Now, this is still an obligation of the company, of the parent company. This is different from a a traditional asset-backed security where the cash flows are that pay the interest on the bond are from the actual security interest. So if it's a credit card receivables, then if as the credit card holders pay off their debt, that, that cash flow flows through to the bondholder. In this case, when you buy a U-Haul node, the cash flow is coming directly from the parent. But if the parent goes bankrupt, the they presumably would sell off the, the the particular trailer or truck that was the security interest the to that particular note now the, the advantage of this is the yields are much higher. So for example, you can get a three year note for a hundred dollars that pays three and a half percent that is secured by utility dollies or and the comparable the i bond, December 2019 corporate ETF. so this is one of those ETFs that mature in three years, that's yielding 1.9%. So you're getting a much higher yield, but there's a give up. You're taking concentration risk. You're, you're essentially assuming AmeriCo won't go bankrupt. And if it does, that the security, the utility dolly will be sold for enough to pay off the particular bond. Barron said an article on this, and they mentioned these bonds aren't rated by the major agency, but probably would carry investment-grade ratings given AmeriCo's relatively low debt compared with its ample cash flow and asset value. So this is kind of a unique way to go up, but recognize you're taking concentration risk. Another example, their six-year note pays 4.6%. That's secured by trailers, and a comparable I bond bullet ETF, December 2022, Corporate ETF, that has a yield of 2.5%. So you're getting an extra 2.5%. You can choose the maturity. But again, there's not a secondary market either. That's the other downside. You cannot sell these securities. You're, you're, once you make the decision, you're going to hold it to maturity. Another way, though, is to invest in variable rate bonds. And the primary way I know of doing this is through what are called floating rate funds, or they're called bank loan funds, or essentially banks issue a loan, and then those loans are syndicated, packaged off, and sold, and these bank loan funds buy the bank loans, and these are non-investment grade bonds, so you have to keep in mind, there's definitely credit risk here, so if the economy tanks, the these bonds aren't going to do as well, but to the extent the economy is growing and default rates stay reasonable, then bank loan funds is a way that you're protected against rising rates because the rates on these bank loans are tied to very short-term interest rates. So as interest rates go up, the rate that the borrower pays goes up, which means since the rates are adjusting on the loans as overall interest rates are going up, then the price of these notes don't fluctuate. These are yielding the S&P LSTA U.S. Leverage Loan 100 index this is an index that tracks bank loans it's yielding 5.2%. There are ETFs that invest in bank loans, there are funds that invest in bank loans. I tend to use funds on the money for the response hub. We have a fund that is in the model portfolios and I use a fund because it's a little more conservative than the index. It does you actually paying an active management fee, but you're relying on the fund manager to be selective in terms of which bank loans and hopefully avoid some of the default risk. A final way to avoid interest rate risk in a rising rate environment is private investments doing asset-based lending. And for example, I recently joined a crowdfunding platform called Peer Street. And Peer Street makes loans tied to to real estate. And so you're making short-term real estate loans where there's a deed of trust, it's secured. For example, I recently... For $1,000, made an 8.5% or participated in an 8.5% loan that expires in May 2017. It's secured by a rental property outside Pasadena, California. It, there's about 75 loan-to-values, so 70, 25% equity, 75% debt, and short-term, but there's still risk. And what's the risk? The price of the house the rental was $765 per square foot. I can't even put my hands around that. But um, it was a small amount, and I'm assuming that they'll get the place rented. It's going to be a rental, and that the housing market will not crash over the next nine months. So that's a short-term loan secured. Now here, you have to be an accredited investor. So you have to meet certain income requirements as a U.S.-based investor or certain net worth requirements. But This is a private investment. It's not liquid. You're going to hold it to maturity. But again, they're not going to adjust the value of that note as interest rates change. And that's another way to go about it. I've also done private loans or asset-based lending myself. I have lent on an apartment building where I'm essentially holding the note. I've lent when we sold our farmhouse. We're holding our note. And the way you do that is you go to a title company and and they prepare the documents. You can obviously have an attorney help you. I've done this enough times that I'm, I'm comfortable with the documents, but there's a deed of trust, and so if the the essentially buyer of the property defaults, then you can, because you have a security interest or lien against the property, you can take control of the property. It's just like a, a mortgage, essentially a mortgage company, that's what that is, but essentially you are the private lender. Now, Again, these aren't terribly liquid. I mean, you can sometimes sell them off to somebody, but this is a way to get a higher interest rate and not have to worry about rising rates because you've locked in a rate. Hopefully, it's it's an attractive rate. My lending rate on the apartment building is about 6.5%. On the farm, it's much lower than that, but that was more to facilitate the sale. You can also there are there's a member of the hub that was looking at some middle market, middle market lending. In other words, some funds that were doing this where you invest in a fund and that manager is out selecting the companies that they want to, to lend to. And these funds often have 8 to 10% type of returns, but there there's credit risk there. They're going to take risk but hopefully it's diversified and there's lockups. they they're not they're not liquid. So you're going to make a commitment to a fund, and you're going to hold it over the whatever the holding period is, and you're going to pay an active management fee. But these are all things you can do to protect yourself. You're going to hold a bond to maturity. You can own a bullet ETF. You can buy a very, very small denomination bond like the U-Haul Investors Club. You can buy an individual bonds through your broker. Also, oftentimes in smaller denominations, but with a bullet ETF, you get thousands and thousands of securities. You can get hundreds of securities in a bank loan fund that's variable rate and be protected from rising rates that way, although you'll take credit risk. Or you can do individual investments either on a crowdfunding platform like Peer Street or on your own. These are all things we can do to mitigate interest rate risk if rates continue to rise and even if they don't. Oftentimes, if you can lock in a higher yield to maturity, then that's often a good thing to do to offset your more risky investments like stocks, real estate, gold, or other things you might own. That's episode 133, show notes right dot moneyfortherestofus.net. While you're there, sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll email you the show notes weekly, as long with a summary article and other valuable content. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, you can sign up by just texting the word insider to the number 444. I've mentioned the Money for the Rest of Us hub. You can get more information on that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. profile. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.